The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Scott Barber. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Doctor's Lounge. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on America's Web Radio. Today, we got a really big show for you. I want to talk about uh, answering the question, when should we debate? Because that seems to be a big issue these days, and I don't really quite know how to deal with it. I know that when I went through my medical school training and really all of my educational training, we were taught to pose hypotheses and to disprove these hypotheses or prove them uh, through debate. When I was in medical school, when I was in residency, it was very common for us to go to journal club. And in journal club, we would review the peer-reviewed articles and journals of the day. In my case, it was the uh, American uh, Journal of Orthopedic Surgery. Uh, it, it was the American Journal of Sports Medicine. It was what we used to call uh, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, the Yellow Journal. And we used to sit around and we would read articles and we would debate them. We would we would evaluate them, the veracity of these journal articles. And we used to use things like, for example, understanding where the bias was coming from. We understand that in every single scientific journal article, there is always bias. There's absolutely no way to eliminate bias. And so we do certain things when we produce scientific information to try and reduce the potential bias. One of the first things we used to talk about was uh, whenever somebody gets up to give a presentation, let's say you're a doctor and you're showing up at a medical convention and you're going to give a talk on something, the very first thing you do is you disclose what your potential biases are. For example, I'm being paid by this company and uh you know i am i am uh, i have these sort of interests in this uh information so that the audience knows that there's a potential bias and by way of example you got a, a doctor who's coming around and he's trying to promote a certain company's uh, knee replacement he'll say right off the bat i'm getting paid by this knee replacement company in order to uh in order to put this paper together and this is a way that the audience can then know that there's a bias there. Um, we do things like blinding the studies, right? We make it so that the doctor and the patient, that's what we call double blind. If the doctor and the patient, neither of them know if the patient is receiving the actual testing medication or if they're getting the placebo medication. And this blinding helps reduce bias, right? Because if a doctor is giving, let's say we're, we're testing a pill and I'm giving you a pill and I know that this pill is the placebo. I know it's not really the drug that I'm testing. I may behave differently. I may, my mannerisms may be different and that may affect the way the patient perceives how they're getting the medicine and that could have an impact on the outcome. And so we do these things to try and discern whether or not, uh, an article has valid information. And at the end of the day, a lot of articles, even in peer-reviewed uh, literature, are are not very good. They have a lot of biases in them. There's a lot of 
debate. There's a lot of differences of opinions about whether or not uh, the things that we're looking at are really valid. And I'll just give you a perfect example. In, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. And one of the things that we learned very early on is that when you try to assess the range of motion of joints, so for example, a knee, uh, when it's fully straight, uh, a lot of people, uh, if you're straight out in your knee, we call that zero degrees. Most people have a little bit of what we call hyperextension. So maybe your knee kind of bends backwards the wrong way, about five degrees, some people 10 degrees. So your range of motion might be from minus 10 degrees to 145 degrees of flexion. That's your range of motion. We have this little tool called a goniometer that's uh, a, a ruler that we kind of put up the thigh and down the shin, and we use it to try and measure the angle of the joint. Well, measuring those angles is very difficult, and study after study shows that intra-observer variability is very high. And what that means is intra-observer, meaning within the same observer. So if I go in and I examine a knee uh, and I say, you know, let's say I measure it at 120 degrees, I could come back 20 minutes later and measure that same knee at 110 degrees. I mean, the variability is so much that I find it very difficult to believe studies that evaluate the range of motion of joints because I just know from personal experience that that is a very difficult thing to evaluate. Now, you'll have other doctors that will say, no, 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 we're really good at it, and the people that we have doing our study are, are super great at evaluating these things. But the point I'm trying to make, and that's a very simple uh, analysis, is that just because something is written down in a book, this is what we call wisdom, right? The, 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 the knowledge of things that never change. You know, my father used to teach me just because it's written down in a book doesn't mean it's true. And we're living in this age of, uh, you know, we got a media that's telling us things that almost always are not true <laughs> these days. And, uh, we're constantly being deluged with all this information on everything from politics to, geopolitical issues to uh, COVID and, uh, you know, we're getting all this information and it's very hard to digest it. And one of the things that I've noticed in the age of COVID, I've noticed, I've noticed it for a very long time. Uh, but what's really become apparent during the age of COVID is how the media is constantly trying to get us to buy a certain narrative and they're trying to squash debate. And it's really uh, dangerous right now. And I sort of have always felt like these things are obvious to me, but, and I've talked about it on this show before that maybe, maybe it's not as obvious to you. Now, one of the big things that's happening in the news recently is, uh, Dr. Peter Hotez, who is uh, a pediatrician and a supposed vaccine expert was on the Joe Rogan show, uh, many times, uh, promoting, uh, vaccines. Well, you had, uh, RFK Jr., uh, who was just on the Joe Rogan show and he basically wanted to challenge Peter Hotez to a debate. And I think Joe Rogan put up something like a hundred thousand or a hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars to Peter Hotez to debate him and uh, he refused to do it. And there are a lot of people like me who would love to see that debate. Uh, I want to see, uh, people who supposedly have knowledge on this issue. And I have my own opinions and I have my own knowledge base and I've done my own research. So 
I have my own opinions, but as a learned person and as somebody who wants to continue to learn more, I would like to see a debate on this very controversial subject. And this debate is not happening. Peter Hotez does not want to debate uh, RFK Jr. Uh, on Joe Rogan's podcast or anywhere. And I have to ask the question, why? Now, the people who support Peter Hotez's point of view are trying to argue that he's just too smart, he's too learned, he's too accomplished to reduce himself to debate somebody like RFK Jr., who isn't even a doctor. Now, we've talked about that on this show a million times, and I want to bring it up again, but uh, we know that the, uh, I'm just going to say it, the left pretty much in this country is trying to get us to accept a narrative that's being presented to us, whether it be on COVID or anything else, uh, by uh, acquiescing to their approved experts. So they'll delegate somebody uh, an expert, and if the expert says something, then nobody can challenge them. And one of the things they like to do is, uh, well, if you're not uh, a scientist, uh, you can't uh, challenge this expert. Uh, we saw this with uh, the confirmation of Katanji Brown-Jackson, uh, who was asked, uh, I think it was by Marsha Blackburn, what a, what a woman is. And she says, well, I'm not a biologist, so I can't answer this question. Utterly ridiculous stuff. We've seen it over and over again. Uh, they like to use fact checkers, right? So if somebody makes an assessment, they'll deploy fact checkers, which in my opinion, fact checkers are almost always deployed to try and get you to prevent you from seeing the truth. And the fact that the media feels the need to deploy fact checkers tells me that uh, something is being presented that's relatively important. Uh, they'll talk about misinformation, right? If somebody uh, says something that they don't like, they'll label it as misinformation. We know that's happened to me. It's happened to Hal. Uh, now, never mind that the things that uh, we talk about later turn out to be completely factual. And I'll just uh, refer to the mask situation. We were told during COVID that the masks worked. Uh, we were forcing children on planes to mask, two-year-olds to mask. We put our kids in school, which I think is one of the crimes of the century, to wear masks for a couple of years. Absolutely disgusting. And then the Cochrane Library comes out with a meta-analysis concluding that the masks don't work. Now, I have friends of mine that will look at me and say, well, listen, Scott, they, they just didn't know. You know, they thought that the masks were working. And then over the course of this COVID epidemic, uh, we learned, you know, that the mask didn't work, but we were trying to err on the side of safety. Well, that's a bunch of malarkey. That absolutely did not happen. We did not learn any new information about masks during COVID. There's nothing about the COVID virus uh, that is different than any other virus we've had in history, which would uh, lead us to believe that the mask worked. OK, and they tried to label people, people, me included, as known spreaders of misinformation. And then what they would do is they would cancel them off of social media. In fact, I'm still being canceled off of social media uh, and for no reason. Uh, there, there's no, uh, you know, hey, listen, you're we're we're reducing your your reach on your social media platforms uh, because of this issue or that issue. No, they just do it in the dark of night. I can just see that. Uh, when people follow me on certain platforms, they're just uh, canceled from me or they're un they unfollow me without even knowing it. And so, uh, you know, the 
you know, the powers that be out there are controlling the information that we receive and trying to manipulate how we process it. And what I want to do on this show is simply open your minds by helping you see what's happening and encourage you guys to do your own research. Sometimes when people get too effective, we simply cancel them, right? So Donald Trump, love him or hate him, uh, he was running for president. I mean, he was the standard bearer for pretty much half the nation. And Twitter basically just banned him uh, from the platform. So Twitter, which at the time was essentially the public square and an important place for uh, one of the candidates running for the highest uh, office in the world, I would argue, uh, was just simply eliminated. And the argument was, well, you know, I don't know. He was a hater. He was a spreader of misinformation. And so they just canceled him. The other thing they like to do is they like to memory hole information, right? So if information comes up uh, that, uh, uh, you know, is inconvenient, that doesn't really support their narrative, it simply disappears. And I see this all the time because I'm saving clips and pieces of information for this show all the time. Uh, and I uh, go to find it again and it's no longer there. Um, they like to use things like evidence-based. Uh, when I was in medical school, they used to talk about this. So, you know, we do our treatment by evidence-based medicine. And what they're really saying is that they don't want anybody going outside the reservation or off the reservation. And the thing is, is evidence is a very nebulous term because we just talked about it. Some articles are good. They have less bias, not no bias, but they have less bias. Other articles aren't as good and have more bias. And so the interpretation of the available scientific research at any one time is very difficult. And that's why they call it the practice of medicine or the art of medicine is because there isn't necessarily one proper way of doing it. And when we have complicated medical problems, at least we used to go and get multiple opinions. We would find people that were learned on the subject and we would ask them uh, to give us opinions and uh, and based on that, individuals used to make their own decisions, and now we're getting uh, more and more away from that stuff. Now, um, Peter Hotez, I'm going to be playing for you guys a lot of clips today that are fairly long, but I think it's really important to shine the light on uh, everything uh, that's been, been going on here. And so <clears throat> one of the first things that I want to play is uh, – this clip of uh, actually, you know what? Let's start off with uh, um, Meta Hassan is a host on MSNBC, and he was talking to Peter Hotez when the firestorm blew up about Hotez going on to Joe Rogan's podcast to debate RFK Jr. And here's Hassan Meta trying to make the pathetic point that we should not debate, as if it's a learned, uh, a smart thing to do. Um, when in reality, it's just a mechanism for them to avoid what would be a bloodbath uh, in RFK's favor, favor because the Peter Hotez is a con man. And I'm going to prove it to you uh, by playing these clips. So let's start off with Peter Hotez on Meta Hassan's show. This is MSNBC. Let's listen to this cut. A couple of things really stand out from that clip. <laughs> One is, you know, as a journalist, I'm looking at Mehdi Hassan, who used to be a very serious, credible person who's an acquaintance of mine. He's interviewed me a number of times. And 
he's just thrown his credibility in the toilet. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. Um, making claims. So that's another journalist talking about Hassan. This is Hassan. To what RFK Jr. and other anti-vax nuts have claimed, there is no connection between vaccines and autism, no connection, no established documented connection between vaccines and serious diseases or mass death. Vaccines tend to save lives across the board, do they not? That's what the peer-reviewed evidence overwhelmingly shows, does it not? And people are dying right now from COVID still because the evidence on COVID vaccines efficacy is being ignored or shouted down on social media. Well, there's there's three three or four moving parts to this. So um, I've been I'm a vaccine scientist. I make low cost, patent free vaccines for low and middle income countries. Or we made a hundred million doses of we made two vaccine prototypes that led to a hundred million doses being administered in India and Indonesia. No patents, minimal strings attached. So we actually found a way to bypass the pharma companies. And yet RFK Jr. incessantly calls me a pharma shill when, if anything, our vaccines may maybe kept Pfizer and Moderna out of markets in India and in Indonesia. So I don't understand that piece. And then I, the reason I got involved with RFK Jr. in the first place is I have uh, an adult daughter, Rachel, who has autism and intellectual disabilities and wrote the book Vaccines Did Not Cause Rachel's Autism that refuted all of his false claims. And 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 that's been, you know, he's been uh, kind of after me uh, ever since then. And now he's uh, at it again. And, but this time, you know, Ilana, it's, it's, I'm sorry, this time, Eddie, it's, it's caused something really terrible, and that is during our COVID pandemic. I have a new book coming out that basically says 200,000 Americans needlessly perished because they believe the anti-vaccine disinformation. Okay, so that's partway through the clip, but I want to talk about a couple of things. The first of all is uh, I thought this guy was uh, arguing for – the vaccines, right? That's what his his shtick is, is that he's going out there and telling you that the, the, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines are necessary, that they're saving lives. And then he goes and he makes this statement that he was able to go and distribute vaccines to India uh, without any strings attached, without any uh, – he's bypassing pharma. I mean, what in the heck does that even mean? Uh, it's a little bit scary to me. Like, it doesn't sound like there's any regulatory oversight there. This guy's basically uh, making uh, uh, experimental drugs and then testing them out in other countries. And we know that India has sued the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, for that very practice. Uh, you know, he other, he also does another thing that is very common in this world is that they try to put spokespeople up there that you can't attack. And uh, one of the great ones is Greta Thunberg, who's a child, right? She's a climate activist. She's a young child. She has Asperger's syndrome. And what they want to do is they put somebody up there making their case, but they want that person to be somehow a protected class so that you can't uh, attack them because they want you to feel uncomfortable about that. And so, of course, he's a pro-vaccine uh, advocate. And, of course, I have to make this statement because kooks on the, on the other side – uh, refer to everybody as pro-vax and anti-vax. I am pro-vaccine for the vaccines that work. I am skeptical about new vaccines that have not been tested uh, because we know that historically new drugs like thalidomide have problems and it takes time to figure out what those problems are. Also, having gone to medical school, I know that 
not all viruses are the same and they have different characteristics, which make some viruses uh, very susceptible to vaccines and other viruses like our respiratory uh, viral illnesses, not very susceptible to vaccines. So you got a guy who's kind of speaking out of both sides of his mouth and they're still laying the case for why he doesn't want to talk to uh, he doesn't want to have a debate. Let's carry on and refuse to take a COVID vaccine during our Delta wave and BA1 and Omicron wave in 2021-22 after vaccines were widely uh, available. So the point is anti-vaccine disinformation it's always done a lot of damage and harm but now it's a yeah. lethal force in the United States and that's why we that's why we have to have that discussion and I offered to come and talk to Gohan Joe Rogan again I've been on a couple of times yeah. and have that discussion with him but not to turn it into the Jerry Springer show with having RFK Jr. on <laughs> Well, so it's it's sad because I said I'm so fed up with the debate me, debate me, uh, because it's not really about the debate. If it was about finding out information, as you said, you've already written about vaccines and autism. You've already spoken and written about COVID vaccines. I think you've been on MSNBC and other channels hundreds of times since the start of the pandemic. People can hear your views and the evidence you bring to this. So they're not actually interested in evidence. And it saddens me that you're a man who basically has saved lives abroad uh, with the vaccines you've developed, whereas RFK has contributed to a culture, a vaccine misinformation culture, that has led to the deaths, as you say, of hundreds of thousands of lives, and yet he's the one being celebrated by tech billionaires like Musk and Jack Dorsey while you're being smeared and defamed. And I would say, I don't know if you've agreed to debate or not. My advice is not to, and people might find that surprising because I wrote a book about debate, but I just think there's a time and a place for a debate. I don't think a historian of World War Two should debate a Holocaust denier. I think just you know, that's that's my analogy here. Like I don't think these debates between experts and cranks do anything other than elevate the cranks. So that is classic stuff right there. Okay, so he's making this assertion that RFK costs hundreds of thousands of lives because he is a vaccine skeptic on some vaccines. And yet uh, there's no debate to be had here. I mean, this is utterly ludicrous. When do you have debates? Well, you have debates when people have differences of opinions on issues. And using any sort of uh, tactic to try and avoid the debate, like, well, I'm not going to debate him because he's not on my level, or I'm not going to debate him because he's not a doctor, while at the same time making these assertions that are, are, are highly controversial. You know, the idea that, uh, the vaccines are either efficacious or not efficacious. Are they safe or are they deadly? I mean, these are important topics and I want to debate them out in the public and I want to hear from a lot of different people. Uh, and of course, I always want to be able to do my own research and we all know or at least we should all know that the reality is that the facts are not on Peter Hotez's side. Uh, we already have Rachel Walensky on tape. I've played it on this show a million times saying what the vaccines can no longer do is prevent transmission. They can't prevent you from getting it. Their argument now is that, well, if you get the vaccine, you get uh, a less severe disease. And of course, we don't have the information on that. So nobody could ever see that. Uh, and, and, and so it's just kind of a ridiculous situation. Now, I don't, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie, the, the wedding crasher, but, uh, you know, basically Vince Vaughn and uh, Owen Wilson are, uh, you know, they go to weddings and they use uh, all these tactics to pick up girls over the course of the year and they have these meaningless relationships. And then Owen Wilson, 
eventually meets Rachel McCowan's character and they, they connect in a real way, but it becomes revealed that Owen uh, Wilson was, was making up, uh, who he was. And, and so it was kind of a sad moment. You know, she wasn't sure she wanted to be with him and she was going to be getting married to Bradley Cooper, who through the course of the movie is a really bad guy. And Owen Wilson comes in and, and, and crashes her, her, uh, uh wedding that she's at. And he says to her, listen, I'm not asking you to marry me. I'm just asking you not to marry him because Bradley Cooper's character was such a bad guy. And that's kind of what I want to get out of this show today. I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm just asking you to not believe Peter Hotez. This guy needs to be taken off the board. He's an absolute joke. And he's been on every issue. He's a, a, a he's an absolute con man. And I want to play to you this uh, audio tape of him uh, it's a it's a cut I got off of Twitter of all of his different positions over the last couple of years uh, on uh, on vaccines and whatnot. Vaccines and our colleagues we noticed in leverage. Well, Peter Hotez demands censorship and international action against foreign countries. He has contradicted himself at virtually every turn throughout the COVID era. In the first year, when Trump was still president, Hotez warned about the dangers of rushing vaccines under emergency use authorization. I don't think EUAs have a place for vaccines. We've never done an emergency use authorization for a major vaccine uh, released to the public. What does that mean? We know it's a lesser quality review. What's the FDA going to do to ensure uh, public safety? Well, Hotez may have had political motivations to cast doubt on the coronavirus products, he had good reason to be concerned. In March 2020, Hotez gave congressional testimony to warn about the dangers of coronavirus vaccines. One of the things that we're not hearing a lot about is the unique potential safety problem of coronavirus vaccine. With certain types of respiratory virus vaccines, you get immunized, and then when you get actually exposed to the virus, you get this kind of paradoxical immune enhancement phenomenon. We started developing uh, coronavirus vaccines in our colleagues. We noticed in laboratory animals that they started to show some of the same immune pathology that resembled what had happened 50 years earlier. So so we said, oh my God, this is going to be problematic. While Hotez warned against fast-tracking a vaccine, he was appointed by Anthony Fauci to lead an NIH program with pharmaceutical executives, the Gates Foundation, and others that did exactly that. In May 2020, anticipating public concern about what he had admitted was rushed testing, potentially unsafe products, and a new platform, Hotez wrote that the communications and missteps around the rollout of COVID-19 vaccines may require a period of damage control and called for the White House and NIH to shape a well-crafted vaccine communication plan and designate a trusted spokesperson who can articulate and carry the message, an apparent reference to himself. Once the FDA had given emergency use authorization, Hotez reversed his public stance. So what's your reaction to this uh, approval out of this second vaccine? That's no, fantastic. The emergency use authorization closely approximates the full uh, approval process, so there's uh, a no- nothing really rushed. Any vaccine released by emergency use authorization by the FDA is an outstanding uh, vaccine. Take whatever vaccine is really offered to you. Hotez said that once enough people were injected with two doses, 
viral transmission would stop and other measures would no longer be necessary. News is good. It's saying even after six months, it still looks like it's really strong and durable. So this is going to be a long-lasting vaccine. A single dose is not very effective, but two doses fully vaccinated people are. A week or two after the second dose, the masks can start to come off. And guess what? You can have everything you've asked for in terms of uh, uh, not requiring social distancing and masks. We can have an extraordinary quality of life. This is time limited. It's not in perpetuity, Wolf. This is not in perpetuity. We are going to vaccinate our way out of this epidemic starting in the summer. If enough Americans get vaccinated, we could actually halt virus transmission, potentially. Um, You know, if you do the simple math, I did a back-of-the-envelope calculation. Once you get over 65% of the population with a single dose of the vaccine and 50% two doses, the amount of transmission will really start to decline. 60 to 70%, 60 to 80% threshold. We need to get to about 75% before we interrupt transmission. Around three-quarters of the U.S. population. Roughly 80% of the U.S. population. Two doses turn to three. I think ultimately a third immunization with the mRNA vaccines will probably be needed at some point. We thought there was a pretty high likelihood we might have to give a third immunization down the line anyway at some point because we had no idea about the durability of any protection of any of these vaccines. So if you got a two... I, I, I just got to enter. This thing goes on for a little bit more as we're about halfway through. But, I mean, are you guys listening to this clown? I mean, he goes against the vaccine. Then he says, oh, no, 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 this EAU, the emergency use authorization, it's totally no corners are being cut. Let's just use it immediately. This is amazing. And then you just watching. You guys can't see the dates of these interviews as they go on month after month. But it's like if you get a vaccine, you're going to be safe and it's going to stop and we can take the mass off. Well, we're going to need two and now we're going to need three. And I'm thinking to myself, who's falling for this? Now, I know most of the people who are listening to this show, other than people who want to attack me, are not falling for this, but it just blows my mind. He's like a snake oil salesman. I mean, and that's the, that is the danger here, right? Is human beings, that's why we don't ever, uh, I always meant when I mentor my medical students, uh, my children or, you know, in my, my charities, my big timers foundation, whenever I'm mentoring kids, I'm always telling them just you have to take in information. You have to do your own research. Do not take the word of any human being based on their uh, education, based on their position, based on their experience. People have to earn their credibility every single day. And all human beings, me included, we're all sinners. And we all have uh, fallibilities in our ability not to be able to see things properly. Uh, we have... Uh, you know, some of us have the ability to be bribed. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, the, putting these leaders in position and telling me that Peter, uh, people like Peter Hotez are going to be designated an expert by the government and then I'm not going to be able to, uh, contradict anything they ever say is utterly ridiculous. And the reason that I show these people on the show all the time, the reason why I want to play a Burks in her own words saying, wow, we oversold the vaccine is so that when the next time comes down the pike, you guys have your eyes open and you don't listen to these people. Uh, <clears throat> you have to understand that there is no body of experts that can protect you. It's not just that they can't protect you. It's that they won't protect you. They're goals, their wants, their needs, 
their perspective is unique to them. And it's not about you. You know, we, it, it comes down to the way we talk about spending money and Milton Friedman's uh, uh, ways of spending money, the four ways you can spend money. The worst way you can spend money is how the government does. They spend other people's money on other people. Neither cost nor quality matters. It's not their money and the products they're buying are for them. The best way to spend your money is you spend your money on yourself. The cost matters and the quality matters. The money you're spending is your own and the quality of the products matters because it's for you. That is true in everything. You know, I talk about the story about my daughter. Uh, I was, she had that over the top swing with her softball swing. And, uh, you know, we were working on a level swing, level swing for a few weeks. And then we had a big game and, uh, the pitcher started pitching balls over her head and the umpire was calling strikes. I mean, these balls were over the top of her head and he was calling strikes and she's looking at me crying and everything like that. And, uh, you know, I like to tell this story. I told her to make the adjustment and she ended up getting a, 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 a two run single into right field. And, uh, you know, I was very proud of her for making that adjustment in life and understanding that, you know, people don't see this world the same way. You know, I think back on that umpire. Do I think there was a conspiracy where he was trying to, you know, help the other team? I mean, this is a 10-year-old softball game. No, I don't think that at all. But he clearly saw the world different from me. I don't necessarily think he was an evil person or a bad person, but he didn't see things the right way. And that was something simple on balls and strikes in pitching. But when we're talking about taking these new experimental medicines, these new experimental mRNA vaccines, and injecting it into our children where the data shows they have such a minuscule risk for the disease, and then we're giving them this new experimental vaccine, you have to ask yourself why. And are we giving it to our children because of clowns like this? Now, this person needs to be thoroughly, this person needs to be thoroughly discredited. And so I'm going to pay the next three or four minutes of this because I want you all to hear this. Think of it as a three dose vaccine. We ultimately will need to give a third immunization. And I've been pretty much saying that all along. This was always no, a three hasn't. dose vaccine. And so this was all predicted and predictable. I've always said this is a three dose vaccine. Two mRNA vaccines are always a three dose vaccine. We've known for a while that this was going to be a three dose vaccine. The big unknown is what happens to those of us who got three doses. I, I don't have the answer. You need that third immunization to get a 30 to 40 fold rise after you get that third immunization you do get a big boost in virus neutralizing antibodies by november 2021 the u.s population had met what hotez and the government called fully vaccinated today we hit two important milestones 80 percent of adults now have at least their first shot and 70 percent of adults are now fully vaccinated but the goalposts were shifted and the booster campaign was just getting started. And we're going to have to change the definition of full, fully vaccinated. What counts as full immunization will be three doses just because we gave those first two doses so close together. The idea that two immunizations constitutes full immunizations is not even close. You need that booster and you probably need the, the second booster. If you've gotten a single boost and you're eligible, get your second boost. The solution here is just continue mass vaccination as aggressively as possible. 
That's right. Are you expecting, as a result, uh, for these vaccines to, to essentially become a, a twice yearly thing? Of course, with mRNA, that may be what's required. You need two boosters. You're going to need a third booster. Two boosts really makes the difference. Get your second boost. Uh, there are these new boosters. Uh, they've been available for a little over a week. Uh, who should get them? Well, any, anyone who's eligible. Once you're more than out four or five months from your last booster. No matter where you're at, maximize out your vaccinations. And even if you've gotten a single booster, you need two boosters. Now's the time to get a booster. If you haven't been boosted in a while, two to four months out, you're going to need a third booster as well, a fifth immunization. Third boosters, meaning fifth immunizations, new bivalent uh, booster. You want to get Paxlovid. That gives you an extra layer of uh, protection as well. We need to get that booster. People need to get their bivalent booster. And the important message that I have this morning is get your new bivalent booster. Uh, if, if you've not gotten it, you have to get it. They're talking about the third shot. And is that the bivalent or is it the fourth booster or does it matter? So before Elise was asking me that very question, I said, don't worry so much about the number of boosters. Oh. Worry about when you got your last booster. Okay. The attempting to boost ourselves out of this um, uh, pandemic is, 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 in my opinion, uh, the, her- the, the, the immunological equivalent of heroin addiction. Okay, and what I mean by that is that that, that we're trying to get, uh, we're trying to squeeze more and more benefit, um, which we're not getting. Um, we're, we're getting less and less benefit for more and more risk of side effects. In the more doses, the worse it gets. So this is this is counterproductive. It's not just it's not working. It's counterproductive. When Johnson and Johnson's product was pulled after causing blood clots, the J and J vaccine uh, does cause a rare serious event, cerebral a cerebral thrombotic event. Hotez continued to push them. Well, I don't have concern about the vaccine. It, it's it's a good vaccine. It's it's an excellent vaccine. After years of blaming the unvaccinated for the virus, demanding censorship, and seeking to criminalize criticism. Hotez casually admitted that the injections, in fact, don't stop transmission. We are not stopping infection anyway, but no, the booster is actually keeping people out of the hospital. Okay, I I mean, it's for me to even listen to that makes me so angry because Peter Hotez is really just a representative of a whole class of people. All of these clowns. I don't know why anybody would be listening to some of these news outlets that put people like that on When you see these cuts back to back and you see him talking like this, you can see how obvious it is that his motivation is not the science, right? I mean, out of one side of his mouth, you have to take this vaccine and it will definitely stop that. the Well, we don't really know what all the problems are going to be and we have to see what's going to happen. It's like, wait a second. Did you study this thing or did you not? Is it safe and effective or is it not? And they just make these assertions and demands and then they try to use these tactics where, you know, you're not a doctor so you can't have an opinion or uh, they're going to shame you. you. You know, this is a crime of the unvaccinated. And I, I, I just want you people to be aware of how you take in your information because this is going to be happening again. Okay, and it's not just going to be COVID. It's in every piece of information uh, that they put towards you. I mean, the classic one is the Hunter Biden laptop, you know, the uh, Trump collusion hoax, uh, where basically you had the Durham report come out that basically said, yes, the FISA warrants were abused and misused to allow the uh, uh, 
you know, Hillary, Obama, Biden, and these people to spy on Donald Trump's campaign. And I'm thinking to myself, you guys just said it out loud, but what they do is they just ignore it and they move on. And then they try to go on to the next thing and say, these experts are going to tell you how you think. And if we deem you as a known spreader of misinformation, you'll be canceled. Uh, you'll be labeled a known spreader of misinformation. Um, you'll, you'll be have fact checkers deployed on you. Uh, you know, half the time, not half the time, every time I read the fact check, uh, the fact check is a play on words to try and get you off the truth. I always use the, uh, the, the first time that I really noticed, I mean, I've noticed this for a long, long time, but the time it really hit me in the nose was <clears throat> I, uh, I knew for a fact that the CDC said there were something, and I'm, I'm not remembering my numbers exactly, but it was something like, uh, they had said there's 60,000 deaths now attributed to COVID and they were about to implement the lockdowns. And I had been following the numbers very closely myself. And I was like, wow, that's a huge jump. And then over the weekend, they come back and they changed it to 30,000 deaths, you know, half. And they, uh, you know, and I, I'm looking this up to find out when exactly that date was when the CDC revised their numbers from whatever 60,000 back down to 30,000 after implementing the lockdowns. And so I went, this is many months later, I went to look up the date. And before I could even get to the information, there were like five fact checks on it saying fact check false. And I'm like, no, this is 100% true. I've been documenting this stuff because I've been following it very closely. So I started reading one of the fact checks and it's using all of this scientific language that will put 99% of people to sleep and hard to understand scientific. And then it gets down to the bottom where it says, so the CDC did revise their numbers from 60,000 to 30,000, but they had a good reason for doing it. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so fact check is true. They just did it. You're just arguing that they had a good reason for the way they revised the numbers. And that's the scam that they pull. They're constantly trying to uh, change uh, the way that we think about things by uh, controlling our thought processes. And we're all a little bit lazy, me included. You know, we tend to read the headlines, which is why headlines always make you think one thing. But if you actually read the article in a newspaper, you end up finding another thing. Now, one of the things that's really important about why is it necessary that we understand how to interpret the information that we're giving and why is it so important for us to always allow debate you know this idea that we remove people from the public square using the guise of hate speech or you know they're spreading misinformation or i shouldn't have to debate that person because they're not at my level these are all tactics to try and avoid the real issue which is having to put your facts out in the public square, open to scrutiny so that we can get to the bottom of things. And, you know, this concept that that, um, you know, there's a right and wrong answer to everything is really not a scientific way of looking at things. There's always a lot of nuance, you know, and I'll have a lot of questions put to me from time to time about Dr. Barber, what do you consider to be an authoritative uh, uh, you know, book on orthopedics and things like that. my answer is always, well, there's no book that's authoritative. I mean, there's lots of information and lots of books. But now that I've been practicing orthopedics for 30 years, I read a lot of things that I agree with. And I read other things that I disagree with, because the things that are put in those books are just other doctors sharing their experiences and looking and reviewing data that I've looked at, too. And sometimes uh, we come to different conclusions. And that is the way science works. Um, and, you know, we talk about it on this show all the time about 
science is not like you do one study, you get the information, and then we never look at it again. Every time you get a new paper on a subject, that's just more information that's added to the body of literature on that particular uh, topic. And you can have peer-reviewed articles in journals looking at the exact same thing, and one of the articles is going to conclude A, and the other article may conclude B. I mean, that's a very common thing, and that's why we need to look look at these things. Now, I I was trying to play for you guys the Marty Makari uh uh, statement before Congress, and that got memory hold, uh, but I had found it again, and so I taped it on my phone. And I want to play this for you guys, because based on what I was just showing you... The greatest uh, perpetrator of misinformation during the pandemic has been the United States government. Misinformation that COVID was spread through surface transmission, that vaccinated immunity was far greater than natural immunity, that masks were effective. Now we have the definitive Cochrane review. What do you do with that review? Cochrane is the most authoritative evidence body in all of medicine and has been for decades. Do you just ignore it, not talk about it? That myocarditis was more common after the infection than the vaccine. Not true. It's four to 28 times more common after the the vaccine that young people benefit from a booster misinformation our two top experts on vaccines quit the fda in protest over this particular issue pushing boosters in young healthy people the data was never there that's why the cdc never disclosed hospitalization rates among boosted americans under age 50 the vaccine mandates would increase vaccination rates. The George uh, Mason University study shows it didn't. It did one thing. It created never vaxxers who are now not getting the childhood vaccines they need to get. Over and over again, we've seen something that goes far beyond using your best judgment with the information at hand. We've seen something which is unforgivable, and that is the weaponization of medical research itself. The CDC putting out their own shoddy studies, like their own study on natural immunity, looking at one state for two months, when they had data for years on all 50 states. Why did they only report that one sliver of data? Why did they salami slice the giant database? Because it gave them the result they wanted. Same with masking study. Well, the data has now caught up in giant systematic reviews and the public health officials were intellectually dishonest. They lied to the American people. Thank you. You guys should never forget that. Uh, you guys should tape that and you guys should save that because that is not the last time that this issue is going to come up. I'm telling you that the powers that be are trying to manipulate us. I know that our medical system has been thoroughly corrupted. We've had decades and decades of a system of academia that is trying to control the way people think. They're trying to poison a young uh, medical minds with, uh, you know, peer review and evidence based. And basically what they're saying is don't do any independent thinking. We will tell you how it is and you will do it. And what we have bred over this time is doctors who have more fidelity to the hospital systems that employ them than they do to their patients. And it's damaging the doctor-patient relationship. And we've got to go in another direction. Now, for me, the specific uh, issues that we do here are not as important. Uh, for example, 
we don't need to get in the debate about masks. We know that the Cochrane Library, which is the definitive repository of medical information, has concluded that uh, masks don't work. But what you guys may not know is we did not figure out that masks don't work during the COVID epidemic. I got I've told you guys this a million times. I studied this in medical school in depth uh, 30 years ago. I knew all of this information. There was nothing about COVID that changed the way we know masks to be effective or not be effective. And they flat out don't work. And that includes the N95 mask. I mean, uh, I don't know if, how many of you people are familiar with what we call in vitro and in vivo. You know, in vitro is in the laboratory under laboratory settings. In vivo is how we use it in, in real life. Okay. So. For example, masking in a laboratory would be you, you use a mask and you blow particles through it and you can make an argument that in our study, particles only went three feet instead of six feet. Uh, that's an in vitro study. But an in vivo study would be if I wear an N95 mask in a, uh, a outbreak of respiratory illness, does it prevent transmission? And the answer is it does not. Okay. So this idea that it's just the cloth and paper masks don't work in vivo is not true. The, there's no studies that show that the N95 is effective either. The other thing that that really uh, strikes me in this Truman Show world that we seem to be living in all the time is you see these paper masks or these um, – they're not – I don't know if they're paper, but they're made to look like an N95, right? They have kind of that duckbill shape. And they're just designed to look like an N95 because they're playing on our, um, you know, they're playing on our psychology uh, to uh, sell masks, you know. And these masks obviously were used for different purposes. And I told you on this show back in 2020 that they were not effective. And we've come all the way. I was attacked. I was canceled. Uh, you know, all that stuff. And others, uh, including, you know, besides me. And here we come back around and it's like, okay, the Cochrane Library concluded. And I'm kind of like, well, let's have a debate about this. Well, no, we can't debate that. You're not on our level. You're canceled. All these different things. And they hopefully want you to move on because they want you to be ready to be able to accept uh, the next narrative that they throw on you. And folks, you have to be ready to internalize information and you have to have your hackles up that don't let them put somebody in front of you who's an expert like Janet Yellen, you know, and tell you this is how monetary policy works. They're not looking out for you. You have to know that by this time. I mean, we've shown the hypocrisy of these things over and over again. I want to share a little something else for you, just because I know that uh, you're probably not hearing this anymore. But in these COVID tests for your children, now let's review what we do know. We do know that your children were at uh, infinitesimal risk of any uh, serious harm from COVID. That's a fact. Uh, CDC knows this. Uh, and and despite that, we were forcing two-year-olds to wear masks on planes uh, and we were uh, forcing vaccinations. They've added this vaccine to the uh, child uh, vaccine schedule, which to me just shows how, you know, I, I want to choose my words properly here. It, it doesn't seem to me that they have any limits. Their their ulterior motives, it doesn't seem to matter to them uh, who they hurt. But you need to be looking out for your children. I want you to hear about this because I don't think many of you have heard this. This is a news report on some of the testing. 
million people who are receiving those free government-issued at-home COVID tests. The extraction tube in many of the kits includes a chemical that can be harmful or even deadly. It's colorless, tasteless, odorless. It's a powder that's found in things like airbags and pest control solutions. Maya Belay from our Cleveland station checks in with poison control for a look at the potential dangers. Ohio poison control centers are sounding the alarm surrounding a liquid substance called sodium azide found in some at-home COVID testing kits that could be toxic to children as well as adults if used incorrectly. Our toxicology community has been both surprised that this was the ingredient in some of the kits and also concerned. We have seen exposures in all age groups. The Drug and Poison Information Center at Cincinnati Children's Hospital reports an increase in calls to their hotline related to accidental exposure to the substance. So far, nearly 40 exposures were reported there, and the problem is nationwide. We are one of 55 poison control centers, and nationwide other poison centers have been reporting a similar finding, and there have been more than a couple of hundred exposures nationwide the sodium azide and test kits. Doctors advise parents to keep the kids out of reach of children and when testing children for COVID at home to make sure they are supervised in order to avoid any adverse side effects from exposure. Sodium azide can be toxic to humans, to animals, uh, and things that it can cause that we would want to look out for would be like low blood pressure, weakness, fatigue, people passing out. If an accident occurs, call the nearest poison control center. The dose makes the poison, and the dose of sodium azide in these kits is very small, and the exposures that have we have seen has been a small amount of that. Experts say following instructions is key. Some adults actually end up using the potentially harmful substance to swab their nose because they didn't follow directions. Nicole? So, I don't know anything about the sodium azide in these test kits. I don't know anything about that. All I know is that that was reported on a local news uh, um, channel that I came across. And I'm asking myself, have you heard any of this before? I didn't know anything about these kits. I was being forced to take these kits, which, by the way, <laughs> the testing thing itself was a joke, right? Testing yourself for a disease that everybody was exposed to that the vast majority of people who contracted the disease uh, were asymptomatic or so minimally symptomatic that they didn't know it. The testing was ridiculous, right? Testing is for something like Ebola, right? Where it's close contact, you get early in the in the infection where you can quarantine people and you can stop the spread of it. COVID was not that type of illness. COVID, the vast majority of people, you know, didn't even know they had it. And so the exposure was all of us. We were all exposed. So the whole testing scam was just part of the, uh, you know, part of the show to try and get us to go along with this narrative. And that's really the important thing that I want people to understand from all this is now that uh, we're kind of through the hysteria of this one uh, situation, the COVID, and we're looking back on it, hopefully with uh, clearer minds, uh, we can start to review the information that we've seen um, coming out. Now, I know this has been a very high clip laid show, but I think it's really important because it connects a lot of dots about how Peter Hotez had this big situation uh, with RFK Jr. Uh, it was brought into prominence because 
uh, Joe Rogan uh, wanted to have a debate between RFK Jr. and Peter Hotez. And, of course, we had Mehdi Hassan on MSNBC and saying, I don't think we should have a debate because you're too superior and you've written all these books and you're just too amazing. Really reading between the lines, it's like the data is totally against you and you would get absolutely roasted. And the people who want to push these vaccine narratives and keep their um, information pimps uh, to have some smidgen of pre- credibility, they can't have this debate go because if it was on Joe Rogan, it would be seen worldwide. And the clown show that is uh, these people that have been pushing this bogus narrative on us would be so obvious that it, it couldn't be ignored. Now, speaking of clown shows, uh, Fauci is another guy I want to take off the board. This dude is a bad dude. He's a clown. He was a designated expert, and he led us down the primrose path and opened a lot of us out to uh, to dangerous situation. It was obvious to me as a physician that these vaccines were causing clots. I mean, everybody around me was getting coming down with clots. I also know way too many people who have had children and loved ones who died suddenly who shouldn't have died, and it's actually quite alarming to me how few of them have even entertained the question. I wonder if this is related to the vaccine. I have a very good friend of mine that died of a heart attack. He's my age, uh, healthy like me, no risk factors, no history, died on Christmas Day. Son had to drive him to the hospital. He was having a heart attack. He died at the hospital. Um, my buddies and I, we we... we you know, got on a big conference call. We had a Zoom call remembering him, talking about it. And not one of them thought to themselves, hey, I wondered if this is related to the vaccine. And I'm thinking to myself during the whole call, how is nobody asking the question, is it possible? Is it possible? Um, that reminds me. I wanted to just share this one little thing in JAMA. Uh, here is an article from JAMA, right? The Journal of the American Medical Association. You know, not my favorite organization, right? But JAMA is considered to be a top medical journal. Uh, this is from January 25th, 2022. So just about six, seven months ago. All right. And the title of it, this is a peer reviewed journal, right? Who all of our experts would tell us we get to listen to this peer reviewed journal. Myocarditis, myocarditis cases reported after mRNA based COVID-19 vaccination in the United States from December 2020 to August 2021. Uh, and the conclusion is, drum roll please, can we get a drum roll? The conclusion is, Based on our passive surveillance reporting in the United States, the risk of myocarditis after receiving mRNA-based COVID-19 vaccines was increased across multiple age and sex strata and was highest after the second vaccination dose in adolescent males and young men. This risk should be considered in the context of benefits of COVID-19 vaccination. Gosh, it sounds like something exactly like what I was saying back in 2020, uh, back when I was getting canceled. All right, everybody, I hope that opened your eyes a little bit. When should we debate? The answer is anytime we disagree about something, we should have open and honest debate to try and get to the bottom of things. Uh, I hope this was a good show for you guys. I'll see you next time. You're listening to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber on America's Web Radio. Everybody have a great week. 
The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.